Welcome to the Random Podcast with me, this is Robbie. We talk about the different things that you thought you never needed to know, such as why the sky is blue and why Sheffield United are such a bad team. So, where are you waiting for? Follow us on Instagram or TikTok and subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts. For this episode, we invited Takatoshi Sibayama. He talked about his experiences in a hedge fund, bank, and his experience in creating his own tech company. We talked about having a balance in life and had had a nice conversation. It's a must-watch episode, very interesting, and a lot of outtakes you can get from it. It can help you either in deciding how to plan your time or different life advices for you to take. So 100% must listen to and yeah, hope you enjoy. Okay, um, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate you giving the time and coming on to the podcast. Um, so do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Hi. So hi, everybody. My name is Takatoshi Shibayama. You could just call me Taka for short. Uh, I worked in the uh, fi- financial industry for about 18 years. So I worked in global investment banks, hedge funds. I started my own hedge fund in 2015, uh, investing in uh, like a Warren Buffett style investment strategy into the Japanese market. And then I exited that business uh, when we grew from 200 million of assets under management to a billion dollars. And I wanted to do something that really could make an impact in this world. You know, I worked in uh, finance for a very long time and I wanted to see how, you know, real finance can really uh, make a change in this world, not just enriching uh, investors, but um, potentially even helping people uh, for financial inclusions or or different kind of uh, financial difficulties that people are having. And I started a company uh, working on blockchain solutions. And uh, initially, I wanted to create a, uh, you know, very different uh you know, remittance platform using stablecoins, uh, which is a term used by the blockchain industry. Um, it just mirrors the underlying uh, currency and using blockchain technology, it can uh, remit money across borders within seconds rather than going through a SWIFT system, which takes a couple days in worst cases with very high fees. Um, so yeah, I've been working on those systems uh, as of now. and. Um, yeah, I think that um, when we all think about running technologies or businesses, I feel like we need to really have a mission, have a purpose uh, of why we're doing it, not just about monetary success, but uh, success for many d- different stakeholders and many pe- different people in the world. And that's that's ha- that's has been my underlying mission uh, as I've been growing this business. That's really interesting. Um, so is there any challenges that you faced when you, during this process of 18 years, I'd say, yeah, this was a major challenge that I'm happy I overcame. Yeah, I think I had major challenges from the beginning. So my background in, um, in university was uh, graduating from political science, which had nothing to do with finance. And I could really say even during those times that math was not really my biggest skill set. So I wanted to challenge myself. 
and tried to make it out in this world of investment banking uh, with a you know being being a person who was very un you know, not confident in a mathematics to see how I can um, you know really climb up the ladder. So initially, for some reason, the the bank hired me as a derivatives uh, trader. So basically, they were uh, this was a foreign exchange option trading desk, and I sat between these two math geniuses. So one person to my right side was a um, MIT grad in mathematics, and then the one next left to me was an undergrad uh, from an Australian university in mathematics. And when I spoke to this MIT grad, I said, you know, what what makes a person really good at math? And like, how do you how did you really get good at math? And he said, you know what, you should just talk to the guy on your left. And so I talked to him, and he said, and the MIT grad said, you know, he's probably he's definitely much better at math than me. And I was thinking, how could an MIT PhD graduate in math be less intelligent than an undergrad? Uh, and then when I talked to this guy on my left, he said, look, math is not about getting an education; it's about you just really understanding it, clicking it. And I thought, oh my God, I'm probably in the wrong place. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was a very challenging, you know, year and a half uh, working with these math geniuses um, to my both sides. And um, not surprisingly, I did uh, run into a lot of mathematical challenges that I couldn't really overcome. So I did leave that um, that position, and um, I went into uh, at the time Japan was. Uh, you know, going through a lot of banking difficulties because they had all these legacy distressed loans in uh, the banking system that they created during the bubble times in Japan in the 80s and early 90s. And the FSA in Japan was telling these banks to get rid of all this debt. So I joined a team that invests in these distressed debt. And that, again, was another challenge for me because I had no background in accounting. And so I had to learn everything by myself. Um, and one of the things I've done uh, to overcome this lack of knowledge is to provide myself with a lot, uh, a lot of practice. So even if I'm not on the job, I'll think about different types of situations where I can, um, you, know, you know, use my use accounting skills to understand the balance sheet and cash flows of companies, and to try to learn it over and over again, so that I can everything becomes, you know, second nature to me. So those those things that um, what I've done really is is always trying to think of a way that how can I master something by repeating the process, not the same way, but in a different way over and over again. So if you think about like chess players, it's kind of the same, right? So they they strategize in their heads. Um, they play both sides in the game and try to understand, you know, what is the best strategy, opening strategy, closing strategies, etc. So I think that the mastery of trying to refine your skills uh, was something that um, I really thought that was really necessary to excel in something. Um, so, so how can I just ask if this is I interpreted the right way? So you got to where you are because you practiced in different. You practiced enough so you could have an understanding where no one actually went and like taught you everything you had to do. 
Yeah, so one of the big lessons I learned, and many people might have uh, heard about this before, is that if, if you want to understand something, you have to really understand it so that even a little child can really understand. And that was taught to me by this MIT grad who was sitting on a right to me in my first job. And, and he said, don't hide behind jargons. Don't hide be behind, you know, technical, um, you know, phrases or whatever they are. And you have to really understand so that you can explain to things in very simple terms. So what that means is like you have to really understand what you're doing to the the minuscule, right? And break it down into smaller pieces so that you can really understand why this system works, why this formula works, why um, this this method works for certain things, and really piece it to, together. It's like building blocks and be able to you know, formulate some kind of diagram in your head that if this uh, works in this way, then it has to go into ABC directions and then, you know, kind of fill in those diagrams. So I think that, you know, it, w when people think of like mastery of certain crafts, it's, it's about repeating the same process, even though there are small, simple steps, but you have to understand that there are these small little steps and you can't bypass it and you have to sharpen every single step of the way so that you can get to a certain mastery of something. And maybe that is a very, you know, one way, I think it's it's a core Japanese philosophy of mastery as well that I've inherited uh, while, you know, being Japanese and also living in the country. Uh, and I could apply that same technology to so many different things. It's not just about work. It could be about sports or it could be music or anything that you do, anything that you have passion about. Uh, if you don't geek out on it, um, you know, I don't think that uh, you're actually really, you know, have passion in it. I think that's what I always think. Um, going, branching out to something that you mentioned about sports, you have a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, is that right? Yes, that's correct. I've been practicing jiu-jitsu for about nearly 10 years now. I mean, unfortunately, during this COVID times, um, you know, Singapore has has not allowed for contact sports since April. So I haven't been able to practice as much as I wanted to. Um, but yes, you know, I have, I've, I've, I think I was almost there as getting black belt, but uh, you know, the pandemic has pushed it away, but yes, um, you know, jujitsu has been my passion. That was like my me time um, to, um, you know, kind of have my time for my individual um, you know, clarity, individual um, sanity, uh, you know, balancing this uh, work, family, and uh, my time. It's truly something that I think a lot of people should try and achieve when they when it comes to doing their work, um, trying to find the right balance, not overdoing their work, yet not, not doing enough work, and not progressing as much as they want to. Um, so do you want to talk about jujitsu more or do you want to go more into depth about, uh, your business and finance and your journey? Well, let's talk about jujitsu. I mean, this is something that really ties into what I was talking about before. So jujitsu is also a sport, which is called human chess, uh, where you have to think several steps behind, but in order to be able to, you know, think couple steps behind, you also have to come up with this mental diagram 
if I do a certain move, how would the other person react? And if that person react in a certain way, then what are the you know several options I can um, you know do? And these things uh, only come with repetition, right? And uh, practicing uh, many different uh, scenarios and practicing that with your partner and uh, repeating that uh, over and over again uh, with different strategies. And that really um, resonates with me because it's, it's a, to me, it's a very highly intellectual sport. Um, it might look like people are just wrestling on the ground and, you know, you don't really know what they're actually doing, but there's a, so much skill that goes into it. And the further up the belt you go and more advanced you get, it's not really about only speed or power. It's more about how you've been able to construct that diagram in your head so that you can move swiftly uh, without hesitation. And what I also like about uh, strategies that I deploy as well is throwing yourself into chaos. So a lot of the exceptional jujitsu practitioners uh, strive in chaos. So they do something so that it just completely mixes up um, you know the opponent's um, diagram and think oh what what's going to happen and then trying to find an opening so that you can really um, you know create your own game or recreate your own game uh, through uh, deploying this chaotic situation and that's something that I've been really excited about as well because you know in life there's so much chaos right I mean you can rail you can build your own and um, you try to run down that rail, but a lot of times, you know, life throws curveballs at you all the time, right? Even this pandemic as well, you know, you have to be able to address and thrive in chaos uh, and to survive certain um, adversities in life. And, you know, I think, you know, throughout my lifetime as well, I've moved different countries. I, when I was five, I moved from Japan to the U.S., and then and during my preteens, I moved back to the Japan. And most of you might know that Japan and U.S., the cultures there are so different. And it's very difficult to adjust to one another, especially during those times when you're so sensitive as a teenager. And the language barrier is so um, high in Japan as well. So when I moved to the U.S., I was only five years old. I mean, my Japanese was not up to par when I moved back to Japan. So that was a very chaotic moment for me. Uh, and um, after that, you know, work, you know, I've started working in different countries as well. I started out in Japan. I moved to London. I moved to Singapore, Hong Kong again, and then back to Singapore. And every time it's a new environment, new people, new company, everything is, is always new. So being able to... Um, to cope with that and being able to thrive through that uh, is something that, you know, I think you really need to put yourself in there and, and try it out, right? Because then, you know, in times of chaos, that's when you really know yourself, you understand yourself, you know how you think, and then your senses are very sharp during those, during those times that uh, everything that you've kind of built up in your subconscious comes together. And and I do recommend a lot of people trying that out uh, and not just live comfortably in your kind of, um, you know, kind of well-suspected um, life. So, um, so using your experiences, what do you think you, um, the society that we live in 
needs to change for that feature. I'm looking at the prof your prof profile right now, and the main, like your the highlighted part is saying, my experiences, I'm quoting, my experiences in e economics, technology, and meditation made me think about our, what our society needs for systematic change for a better future. Now, there's so many different systems that uh, we're very accustomed to that we already take it for granted and we learn to accustom to. So, you know, let's say that we're experiencing climate change, right? And we think about what what is causing climate change. Obviously, you can give a scientific reason for that, but, you know, there's also uh, a certain um, element where human has um, created uh, such climate change as well. And and addressing those problems, you know, you can say that, oh, yeah, let's let's reduce plastic. I mean, but the thing is, that's a very short sighted way of looking at things. So, you know, let's think about why we need plastics in the first place. You know, what what have we created uh, with plastics that made our life convenient? And if we do away with plastics. What are the things that we're doing away with at the same time? There's people who are working in that industry. Right. And there's people who are using plastics to create a certain life for themselves and maybe in those factories where people are creating um, plastics the government is also uh, earning a certain tax from that from that tax they might be subsidizing agricultural industries or certain other industries that allow people to um, you know kind of live in that society as well and, and then let's say those people in the agriculture industry if they don't get these certain subsidies uh, how are they going to feed their own, you know, families? And so there's so many kind of rabbit holes that you can go into when trying to change systems that you have to, again, think about uh, what, what are the systems that are really uh, necessary? Like, what do we need to replace so that, um, you know, people don't have to fall into, you know, a poverty trap again or... Um, you know difficulties in life and I think that um, you know we need to question a lot more things in, in, in what we're trying to change and not just look at the superficial part uh, of things and I think that's kind of what I try to talk about in my podcast future design podcast is not just about um, you know uplifting ethics and morals and philosophies behind uh, creating new systems but what are the systems uh, that are really in societies and how we can replace them with uh, better ones. I'll link your podcast in the bio of this episode. So if anyone who's listening wants to check out um, your podcast, they can. Um, and they won't have to go and try and find it. It'll be very accessible. Um, so... If you're reflecting on one point where you could say, okay, so if this point didn't happen, I don't think I'll be where I am today, what would that be? Mm. So I definitely made a lot of advantages being a, a Japanese person, being able to live in a very international society. So I would point that uh, when my family moved to the U.S. Uh, would be the mass massive turning point in my life. If I just stayed in Japan all my life, maybe I wouldn't be able to experience all these different, um, you know, different lifestyles in different countries and getting the jobs that I've got, uh, gotten in the past. So definitely I would point to there for sure. Okay. 
I think a lot of people who are listening to the podcast will be created will be able to create some sort of connections. Um, if you don't know, um, I live in the Middle East, and mm-hmm. in the Middle East, um, there's lots of people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and it's really a area where it's like being created by different cultures, really. So you can see, I think a lot of people will be able to create some sort of connection and see what benefits it could be at the same time, what disadvantages there could be. Um, mm-hmm. For many, some people don't live where they're their home countries and there might be some sort of gap between how they think and their home countries. Did you experience that in some sort or do you think that that might not be the case for you? You know, I, I think from my experiences living in different countries and uh, people are very easy to judge, you know, these people from these certain culture, cultures or these kind of people or, you know, you have these, yeah, just stereotyping people. But I think once you live in a different country and you really, um, you know, kind of in, try to integrate with the local society, you'll understand that even though people are from different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, it could be political backgrounds or whatever, you know, fundamentally, we're all the same. And we have same, you know, family issues, we have work issues, we have troubles within ourselves, spiritually and, and, and all that. So I think that, you know, you become a lot more acceptable, acceptive with uh, different differences of people and be able to understand what is the fundamental driving force behind people and learn to, you can learn to accept that and you can learn to accept that people come from very different backgrounds, but ultimately you're kind of the same. You know, I kind of draw that similarly to jujitsu as well, because once you're on the mat and you're fighting an opponent, you know, they could be rich, they could be poor, they could be, you know, from a different cultural background. It's all the same because, you know, you're just standing there man to man with somebody, regardless of their color or ethnicity, culture, whatever it is, and you're fighting that person and you can see who that really you know really that person is um, because of what they accomplished uh, through their jiu-jitsu journey and i think that goes the same with um, you know learning about people um, through just in life as well it, it, it has a very similar characteristics about learning about people and i think that's the beauty of being able to live in different cultures you know you you do understand disadvantage advantages as well but uh, ultimately you become a, a much peaceful person i believe um, through being able to live in different cultures do you think that there's you can like there's a lot of connections with jiu-jitsu and like everyone everyday life or do you think that um jiu-jitsu doesn't really reflect the way people live, but in fact, reflects on how they live it. No, I think uh, jujitsu is, is, is the sum of everything, right? So, you know, it really shows how much you put in the effort to uh, improve yourself. And that's by, you know, as I said in, in earlier, yourself into different situations and learning how to thrive through that. 
Um, I think in your personal life or work life as well, it's it's the same. You know, it's you're you're the sum of all the experiences that you had in the past, and and trying to enrich your experiences by not just you know floating through life, but really going down deep into whatever you're passionate about and and learning about. It really makes you who you are, and I think that. Uh, stretches across anything that uh, I can think of. Um, do you ha- so for many who are um, um, okay? So I'm gonna give a bit of a background for you. I'm a 14 year old student at school, and we're starting to choose what we want to do as a job in the future. Is there anything that you can say that's a benefit? as being an investment professional or something that um, is the reason why you should do that job or? Mm. You know, I think everybody has their own different journeys, right? So, you know, you're 14 and you're starting to figure out this world and it's going to change over time, right? I, I can't see the future, even though I work in technology as well, that, you know, the, there's so many different emerging technology coming out in this world with different philosophies. So, you know, the only thing that you can really be sure about is to understand yourself, right? It's not about exactly what the job is. It's about you trying to uh, express yourself through the job that you have. So if you're really passionate about investing and you like to learn about the works of capitalism and you're on, you know, you really like to see um, your investment thesis planning out and you're still okay with that thesis not working out, um, I think that's really wonderful and you should pursue that. If your passion lies in something else uh, and you want to express yourself through that, I think that's um, what you should go for. You know, I, what, what I have understood uh, from working in finance for 18 years is that a lot of people get into the industries It doesn't have to be finance. It could be technology or you know anything any any jobs that are out there that people just do it because You know, they just need to survive right they need to bring back income for their family but um, you know, but that's That's majority of your life right after you know 22 or whatever age you start work until the time you retire that's pretty much majority of your, your life. And if you think if you're thinking about doing something that just brings bread to the table, you know, that that's going to lead you to a very empty life. And I worry about people who are always uh, thinking about, yeah, work is just work and I live for the weekends or I live for the vacations. But, you know, those weekends and vacations are, are a minuscule part of your life. I mean, majority you are actually, you know, working. So you know, it is again cliche, but you have to find something that you're passionate about, and you don't have to worry too much about is this going to make me a huge amount of money or or not, because you know I've downgraded my income from working in technology, but I feel so much happier doing it, and I think that's more important to me, and I can pursue the principles that I have to, you know, feel like I'm doing something in this world, um, you know, even if that brings me less income, I'm pretty fine with that. And I think that um, you shouldn't really measure success by monetary success, but more about how you feel you are happy about your life, you know, and 
and uh, you'll start to understand that there's so many things that the negativity that's going to be thrown at you in life and you know for you to be happy is not finding something that makes you happy but trying to cut out things that are negative to you right and it's it's a more of a method of elimination rather than pursuing what what you perceive to be happiness is there any final thoughts you want to say as we start to wrap up the episode well i think i pretty much said what i needed to say but um yeah i can't say it enough that you know i think whatever you're going to do um you know have some principle in what you're doing you know think about the ethical or more you know underlying uh moral principle that you're going to have when doing something and it gives you so much more happiness the happiness all the time but it gives you so much more satisfaction that you're you're pursuing something that's aligned with your principle than doing something that's against it or not you know completely in line with it so you know try to find whatever that underlying principle is and i think that's the most important thing and finding yourself that's that's the thing that you'll get to what that principle is and i think you should work on that um through you know your education and uh experiences that you have in life and then even you know when you start some different work and it, along the lines that you find a new principle or or some kind of core value that you really can align yourself with don't be afraid to pursue that right because that gives you the most satisfaction out of anything uh thank you for coming on to the podcast i appreciate you coming on and um yeah thank you yeah thank you so much for having me on and uh hope you great success thank you